0: Welcome to episode 22 of our podcast. I'm Alex von half of The Sober
1: Experiment. And I'm Lisa the other half. So how are you doing? I'm all right Alex, are you?
0: Yeah I'm not bad thank you. I managed to get out for a nice run this morning and I thought um, we're like in our third week of lockdown I think now and I needed to get some um, calpol for my youngest who I don't know whether he's sprained or broken his blooming finger on the trampoline. There's no way I'm away oh. it. me. So I strapped up his finger, went to the cupboard and there was literally half a teaspoon of the cow So I was like, Oh my God, I'm not going to get any cow anywhere. So I thought, right, I'll go for a run. So I did a 5k run and on the way past, ran past, um, say not Sainsbury's super Drug. Popped in and managed to get some. Ran home with my water in one hand and a bottle of Dettle and medicine in the other. <laughs> <laughs> you know
1: what? After speaking to you on the phone this morning, I was like, right. And then this um, RB Sober WhatsApp group kind of got me a little bit motiv- motivated this morning. I thought, you know what? I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to get my stuff out and I'm going to run. So I got all my stuff on this morning and I put the couch to 5K on my phone. Yes. So when I stopped doing that, I was at week six. So I thought, oh, I'll just go back to like week four. I don't need to go back to the beginning. <laughs> well, oh my God, right? I get to the end of the street. It starts telling me to run, you know, after my walk and what have you. And I took the dog with me as well because they were oh. quite good this time last year. Um, at running, anyway, it kept stopping and sniffing while I was supposed to be doing my run. I couldn't even do three minutes, and I mean, I looked. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. I looked quite good this morning. I've got all my nice running gear on. I put the little hat on, and I thought, oh, I look like a proper runner. And I ended up walking the whole way. And then somebody walked past me, like they'd seen me on the opposite side, and then we ended up crossing paths. And I was like, oh, the dog won't run. And I blamed it on the dog. And I got home
0: and I thought, oh, that was really cruel. Why did I blame Jeffrey? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was kind of half true because he wouldn't run. Maybe as well. Uh, Can I make a suggestion?
1: Yeah. Go back to week one. I'm I'm not even doing it you know what I've decided right and this is what I thought on my walk back from my run is you know like we always say how different we are Yeah. and I'm always like right meditate and you're like run or blah blah so I thought you know what Alex runs
0: I walk (laughs) (laughs) that was was my thought today well good because it's right and if you feel like giving it another go go back to week one (laughs) but um, yeah week one I have made a commitment to try those meditations that you've sent me starting today. So I am actually going to try to meditate. So on our next podcast, if I remember that is, because they are far between, I will I will try to update people as to how that's going. Oh, I'm so pleased. A part of me wanted to then say, oh,
1: right, well, if you're doing that, then I'll go back to week one. But I'm not going to do that.
0: <laughs> speaking of I be sober of, yeah. i'm proud of you i'm proud that your, your intention was there <laughs> <laughs> um speaking of be sober manchester our mm-hmm. guest today is julia carson who is the author of sober positive and she's a personal p- first of Lisa's, then of mine, and I know I'm going to say this again in a second when Julia actually comes on, but um, yeah, we're really pleased to have Julia on talking to us today. Want to say anything else about the lovely Julia? Do you know about- Yeah, but I, I
1: like doing podcasts like this because you know when you get to know somebody and um like we've known julie from going out with be Sober manchester so you kind of get to know that person and you don't really ask or delve into anything before so you kind of when we do the podcast we really get to know people don't we so i'm quite looking forward to it
0: yeah i'm looking forward to it i'm going to actually delve into her past so i hope she don't mind i'm sure she won't but um I'm sure she's bold enough anyway to say shut up, Alex, if she's uh, got a problem with it. Oh,
1: she's gorgeous. <laughs> she
0: is. So, yeah, here she is. Hi, Julia. Thanks so much for coming on. Hi, it's great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, oh, was, oh you going to speak, Lisa?
1: Sorry, go on. <laughs> it's all right. I've got to get in as quick as I can with Alex. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is why we have the video really so I can wave and say let me talk (laughs) It is why we have the video yeah Um, No, I mean for anyone who knows our podcast we we talk about you fairly regularly Julia because you are first of all you were Lisa's friend through Be Sober Manchester and then I obviously had the pleasure of meeting you shortly after that so we do have like a a friendship connection between the three of us albeit not seeing each other for a little while So I think people who listen to our podcast probably know, but if they don't, Julia is the author of Sober Positive and Our Good Friend. So if you haven't read the book, please do, because I've read it and it is a really fantastic quick lit guide. Um, It also gives a slight insight into Julia's personality and things that she regrets and things she's happy with and so on. But... What I'd like to find out a bit about being Nosy Julia is the Julia who used to get trolleyed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah, thanks,
2: guys, so much for um, all the support you've given to to my book, and uh, you know, it's been much appreciated because I am a listener of your podcast, and every time I hear my little name checks, I'm like, oh, that was me. Sure. So <laughs> it means a lot; it really does. And um, yeah, so God, the me before. <laughs> um, I guess. Well, I mean, how far do you want me to go back? Do, do, shall I just talk about kind of where where I started from? And yeah, why
0: well, no, Let's have a bit of a, a
1: bit of a autobiography from me. Bit of a bit of a backstory okay. yeah, it is because like Alex said um we kind of know the you now and I can't even imagine Julia before so it will be kind of interesting to get a bit of a an insight to what really got you to the point of stopping drinking yeah. Okay, so I mean I started drinking
2: kind of like everyone does really. I grew up in Cumbria in a small town that's uh, just outside Carlisle and it was like one of these kind of small English towns where there was like literally nothing to do for teenagers apart from go out and get pissed and I like, started off kind of in the park with a bottle of twenty twenty and that sort of thing. And then um obviously we started going into pubs and like again coming from like a kind of small rural area, the pubs weren't bothered about ages and checking ID and all that kind of thing. it was um there was uh, sorry, I've
1: just been totally distracted by your cat Lisa <laughs> <laughs> sorry. It doesn't really
0: make an appearance. <laughs> so sorry everybody for it's that lovely. Lisa's cat, Mr Parker, has just appeared on camera. <laughs> (laughs) love it a photo bomb by a cat Um, anyway as I was saying
2: um yeah so um so yeah and then obviously started going out to clubs and all of that getting drunk with my friends and I think right from the off really I was always the one who would take it a bit far I was always the one who kind of didn't have an off switch and once I started drinking wanted to keep going and was quite often the one that um I remember like one of my very early experiences I think I talk about in the book was when I fell down some stairs in a nightclub when I was um, out for my friend's 18th birthday and my friends had to ring my dad and get to come and get me. So it was, it was kind of like that right from the start, really, that I was always the one that my friends were kind of helping home or whatever. I'd always like take it a bit far. And then, um... It just kind of carried on from there. And for a long time, I really only drank socially. But when I did, I really went for it. And that was kind of, to be fair, it was like most weekends. But I was never, like, certainly in my 20s and early 30s, I never used to drink at home on my own. I would never mm. be in the habit of, like, getting a bottle of wine and having it at home. I think because I kind of knew that about myself. and knew that once once I started drinking, kind of all bets were off a bit. So I didn't really want to do it when I was just on my own because then I started worrying about it and thinking, you know, what does that mean about me? And, you know, if I ended up, like, staying at home, getting pissed on my own, what, you know, I would start having all those kind of, am I an alcoholic and all those questions coming in? So I just kind of avoided it, really, but that just meant I went out a lot and was kind of, you know, party girl. So, So, yeah, so that was kind of, my 20s kind of looked like that, really, going out with my mates, drinking, overdoing it. And as my 20s went on, the hangovers started getting a lot worse and I started really getting the after effects of drinking in a big way. And um, I was um, was single for a lot of my 20s. I had kind of like short-term relationships, but I wasn't in a long-term relationship for really pretty much all my 20s. I had a boyfriend at university for three years. We split up pretty much as soon as we graduated when I was 21. Mm. And then I was pretty much single apart from some kind of flings and and short-term things until I was 28 when I met my husband. So it was that was all kind of nights out and stuff and you know um, and then when I met my husband that kind of shone a bit of a light on how much I used to drink because he's not a big drinker so um, and we're, we're separated now by the way but we're, when we, we were together for 13 years so like the latter part of my drinking life I was I was in a serious relationship with somebody who was a very very moderate drinker and by moderate I mean even on a night out with friends he'll have like two pints and everybody be like come on you're lightweight whatever and at home Mm he just just drinking just was not a thing he just would never drink at home and it used to drive me mad to be honest because I kind of wanted someone to share a bottle of wine with at home and all of that but and I think that was when I got into the habit of having wine at home on my own because I was going out less because obviously I was getting a bit older and certainly when I had my kids obviously the the opportunities to go out weren't there so much anymore so that and and you know because my husband didn't drink I just kind of fell into a habit then of drinking wine at home and that was that was what my drinking looked like after I had my kids but it was kind of on paper, pretty moderate, really. But I still had the after effects and I still had, on the occasions when I did go out, I would still have the massive blowouts and, like be, and I would literally be in bed. Like I've heard you talk, Alex, about your dreadful hangovers. I was exactly the same. I was just incapacitated. I would be in bed. I would, I would always be sick. I would, be, like, I'd, like, my mental health would just be in pieces. I'd, like, usually cry at some point during the day and I would just literally, I would be bedbound all day. And I remember sometimes just literally thinking, I feel like I need to be in hospital, like whether for physical, oh. the physical side of it or the psychiatric side of it, I don't know, but I would literally just like, I'm I need to be in hospital, I can't go. And it would kind of last, and I would have awful anxiety that would like last for like the whole of the following week. This is kind of early thirties, like, you know, just before I had my kids and then on the rare occasion, if I went out after I had them. and um, And that just kind of got worse and worse. And then, yeah, so that's kind of, that's at the point of time when I stopped, my drinking looked like red wine at home or every week, not every night necessarily, but um, most nights, a couple of glasses at least. And then nights out with friend, still really going for it. That kind of, even though I'm a mom, I deserve it. It's my night off, whatever. It's my, you know, my my me time, all of that and just getting absolutely annihilated and then feeling wretched the next day and so guilty and just just horrendous.
0: You sound um, like a real cross between me and Lisa, you know. Yeah. I didn't get the the, the, the anxiety so much, which you and Lisa both got, but the vomiting, the hangover, the drinking the red wine at home, that's very me and you, Lisa, you were a red wine drinker at home. And, yeah, I practised for years
1: to be a red wine drinker. Yeah,
0: I did. <laughs> and, it was, so, I mean, you're in your book, you talk about the accident you had falling down the stairs and you were quite young then. You, was you? That, yeah, I was, eight, I, yeah, I was eight, 18. Uh, yeah, I was just at university. I was. It was the October. I went to university
2: in September and then like six weeks later in the October, fell down stairs. And it was quite a
0: serious accident, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I was in uh, Manchester Royal Infirmary for a week, had a fractured skull, and then they wanted me to stay in for two weeks, but I was like, total stroppy teenager, just didn't didn't really take on board the seriousness of the accident at all, I don't think, and was just all I wanted to do was get back to my halls of residence and carry on partying, really, because I'd met the guy who became my first boyfriend, and, and all I wanted, and, and I'd had, I'd had this great plan that I was going to, we were having this party, and I'd, I'd had this great plan of approach that I was, I was going to get <laughs> up with him, and, and I was just absolutely devastated that all of this had been sort of kiboshed by the fact that I'd fallen downstairs and I remember that was all I cared about I just wanted to get back to halls and back to partying and but they um yeah they made me go home for a week so I had a week in hospital and then a week back at my mum and dad's yeah and then um, it quite some time before
0: you started to
2: have a drink again yeah well they told me that I had to stop drinking for 12 weeks which I pretty much stuck to because I think uh, obviously it scared me a bit so yeah I did and I look back now and I'm I'm not really sure why that was necessary, whether they just wanted to see if I could do it or whether they, um, I don't know. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I, I did pretty much stick to that. I remember like towards the end, because during that period, that that sober period, I actually did get together with the, the guy that I'd had my eye on and, and he was, he then became a boyfriend for three years. And towards the end of those 12 weeks, once I'd started going out with him, I would, would kind of, if we were out on a night out, I'd be like, "Oh, give me a bit of your beer sort of thing. And I'd <laughs> have that like, little sit and <laughs> kind stuff. Of, little, little yeah. T- but I didn't really have a lot to drink, but I remember like what's what's interesting to me now looking back is that I didn't it didn't even cross my mind that drinking might not be a good idea for me. It just didn't even register that, you know, that my kind of lack of an off switch had led to such serious consequences that I'd nearly died, basically. And like, you know, and completely traumatized my poor parents and and just you know had this horrendous head injury and it just didn't even cross my mind that it might not be a good idea for me to drink and I planned the um my kind of return to drinking with sort of I remember like the for weeks before the date when I was allowed to start drinking again, I kind of planned it and had this whole, like I did this pub crawl all the way from, from Fallowfield in South Manchester where I lived all the way into the city centre and, you know, had it completely planned everywhere I was going to go. And it's just, I just look back and I think, God, it's, you know, when I, now my am a mum myself, have daughters, I think, God, you know, if that had happened to one of the girls, yeah. you know, but I think when you're 18, it's just, Priorities are so different,
0: aren't
1: they? Go on, Lisa. (laughs) They are different, and it's like you said that the switch doesn't click at that point, you don't associate everything that's kind of going wrong, or you know, even like for something like that, for you to fall down the stairs and go to hospital. I know looking back, and I'm quite ashamed. To say it but if that had been one of my friends at that time I'd have been like waiting for it to get better so we could go out again I wouldn't have even associated the two like when did you kind of look back and think oh my gosh that is because I was drinking not really until I think
2: I was always in so much denial about it because I think I always knew that I wasn't like a, a normal drinker or whatever that is and because there's this that was this is one of my main reasons why I wrote the book because at the time when I stopped drinking and it's less and less now thanks to all the work that's going on like you guys and and the other podcasts and you know there's so much more going on now but when I stopped drinking three years ago there wasn't that much out there still that may sort of that showed that there was anything other than a normal drinker and an alcoholic and I just had this feeling I just had this absolute horror of being an alcoholic I just so didn't want to identify that way I I saw it as like the end of the end of my life you know, the end of any kind of fun in my life really. And, uh, um, that I just couldn't imagine what my life would look like if I had to kind of declare myself an alcoholic and go to AA meetings and all of that. And I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that, if that's what works for people. But for me, it just was so not, it just, just didn't resonate. It didn't, you know, I, I just couldn't imagine myself ever doing that. And, um, so then I'm sorry, I've totally lost my
0: thread. What was, the, what was the original question you asked? Just when did you first realise that falling down the stairs was as a result? Of course, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So it it wasn't really
2: until I stopped drinking that I then looked back because I was always in. That's right, because I was always in so much denial about it because it so. You know, I did. You know, I knew my drinking wasn't normal. But I didn't dare to look at it too closely. I didn't dare to, I kind of, even in my own mind, I sort of shied away from it. And, you know, if I started thinking, okay, well, this and that and the other has happened to me because I drink too much, then it would start making me think, okay, so that means you've got a problem. So that means you're an alcoholic. So that means your life's over. And that's the way that my brain would go. And then once I stopped drinking and realized how much better my life was, I could then look back with less kind of emotional baggage about it and think, okay, so yeah, that, was because I was drinking and that was because I was drinking because the accident wasn't, you know, it wasn't the only thing. wasn't the only negative thing that happened to me in my life because I was drinking. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of looking back, it's just something that I'm well shot of, basically. And that's how I see it now. You know, it's not, I don't feel, I don't, I don't miss drinking. I don't, I don't feel sorry for myself that I can't drink. I just feel really relieved that I've finally kind of identified what how much crap it brought to my life and that I've been able to 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 kind of to realise that and to to get out while I'm still relatively young, I guess.
1: Can I ask you, Julia? Because you know, I think so many people will relate to that because the way you talk about your drinking is what we would have all classed as normal. Mm-hmm. You know, we, like Alex said, you'd like such a mixture of the both of us and all the people I knew drank like that. So it's just, yeah. you know, um, how do you deal now with the things that, I know you mentioned then, you know, that wasn't the only negative thing um, to happen to you. How do you deal with them negative things now? Do you know, some of them, it wasn't really until I stopped drinking
2: that I realised I still needed to deal with them. Um, there was, I mean, there was certainly something which I kind of refer to kind of fairly obliquely in the book. But I was, I was um, sexually assaulted when um, I was twenty six, and although it's such a it's such a difficult and kind of delicate area to to say that happened because I was drinking, and I certainly am not saying that women shouldn't drink because it puts them at risk of, of that. But what what I the way I've kind of the way I see it for myself is that I that it wouldn't have happened that night in that way to me if I hadn't been drinking that night, and that's something I've had to kind of come to terms with. And I did have counselling about it at the time to an extent, but it it literally wasn't until I stopped drinking, and that was like many many like getting on for twenty years later that yeah. I actually thought, you know what, I've not actually properly dealt with that, and there's still stuff in there that I still need to work through, and. So that was and I've I've had sort of, you know, some quite intensive therapy about about it since. And that's again been kind of pretty transformative and, and has helped me so much. And again, it wouldn't that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't stopped drinking because I was so good at denying everything and kind of pushing everything down. And um I remember when I first started going to, to therapy about it, I remember saying to, to my therapist, it's it's like everything's in a box and I don't want to take the lid off the box. And I think that's what drinking did for me for a lot. It kind of I I was kind of able to put everything in a box and just kind of leave it there and not deal with things. So I think that's the way that I... Just kind of blot it out. Yes. So the way that I did it, and I guess sort of stopping drinking meant that I had to kind of properly deal with things. Mm. So kind of all the negative stuff that, that happened, even though I'd kind of had some support with it at the time or whatever, then it wasn't really until I actually stopped that I was actually able to really properly do the work that was necessary to kind of properly deal with it and to be able to kind of move forward and and properly, properly put it behind me. So it's another gift of stopping drinking, really, that I was able to do that.
0: Yeah, I find the same with, you know, obviously I make it no secret. It's not the same thing that I had the miscarriage and I didn't, I put that away and just pretended it didn't happen in many ways. I mean, I I thought I'd grieve, but it was only afterwards, once I'd managed to get, speak to Lisa about it properly and after stopping drinking, And I had counselling the same. And I know for a fact, I've had counselling previously when my dad passed away. And at the time, I remember thinking, oh, I'm okay. But when I stopped drinking, I started to grieve for my dad again. Mm. You know what? Therapy, I'm not saying this is for everyone in the same way you're not, but therapy, counselling, it didn't work while I was still drinking because I wasn't really allowing things to come out and up to the surface. I was using drink to keep it flattened if you like and keep it in the box I think there's a really good analogy and and also you know thank you for sharing that because it's I know it'd be really difficult to share that on a podcast but there'll be so many people who can relate to your experience and hopefully come forward or learn to deal with it so we're really grateful both of us that you've been able to share that on our podcast thank you.
2: Well do you know it just goes to show how much I have dealt with it because like three four years ago before I stopped drinking and, and uh, you know had some more therapy I, I couldn't have done it I couldn't have talked about it you know I just literally couldn't have said the words so yeah it's it's kind of amazing really where stopping drinking's brought me in well in
1: loads of ways but but that's certainly one of them yeah oh, oh Julia it really is you know because I can really get that that you didn't that you couldn't I've spoke about it before. It is amazing what stopping drinking does. And, and it's also really frightening for people because when they kind of know that things have happened that they don't want to deal with, it's easy to try and keep that lid on that box, isn't it? And yeah. just think, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to open that just yet. And it can be frightening thinking that when you do stop drinking that you're going to have to deal with it. But I think it's more about wanting to deal with it.
2: Yeah, and, and I where, think as well, like in part, not wanting to deal with it, it was again me not wanting to deal with my drinking because it happened when I was drinking. It happened because somebody, I think, put something in my drink, and you know, so it's very much tied up with my drinking in 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 ways that it you know that it might not be for some people. And um I think, in order to properly face it, I had to first face up to the fact that I was a problematic drinker because I was in so much denial about that. I just couldn't deal with anything remotely associated to it either I think that might have been part of it which is kind of I've never really thought about it like that until this moment but it's yeah it's I think that stopping drinking made me a lot freer in my own mind if that makes sense it because when I had all these kind of things that I couldn't think about before and now I'm just a lot freer to kind of you know because I'm really honest with myself and I'm, I can really properly look at myself and I'm not making excuses so I think yeah. it's yeah that's a big shift that stopping drinking's definitely
1: done I wish we could bottle up sober <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and give it to people because it before when you were saying about um the term alcoholic and it And we grew up in the same kind of, you know, you was either a normal drinker or you was an alcoholic. Mm. There was no in between. And the thought of being an alcoholic to some people, especially to me, and like what you said, Mm. is so flipping scary. You're like, I can't be one of them. I can't, you know, you have this picture in your mind of what it is. And I think that's something that we work hard on doing this kind of taking the stigma away from the word sober, you know, there's a, a million other reasons. And it's also what I love that you called your book sober positive. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I do. You know, you know, in your book as well, and this is something that I just wanted to talk about. And I, and I hope you're comfortable enough to talk about this because there's, there were, there were more than one moment, but there's one moment in particular that made me cry. Um, And it's the comparison of the two times when you were breastfeeding your children. Oh yeah. And it it really felt it filled me with such emotion. How sad you were at that point on after the birth of your second child Mm. that you 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 describe it if you can. Yeah. So I suppose that I mean that was my kind of
2: that was my trigger for stopping. That was what brought me to the conclusion that I had, well, I think, well, I say stopping at at first it was the conclusion I came to was that I had to find a way to control it. And it wasn't until I read Annie Grace's The Snaked Mind that I thought actually the way I control this is by stopping it completely. But what happened was um, when I um, had my first daughter, who is now six, um, I, that was, That was kind of, that resulted in a big shift to my drinking because the year before I'd had her, the year before I conceived her, I had, it was like the first year of our marriage and um, we started trying pretty much as soon as we were married because we, I was 35 when we got married. Yeah, we we met when I was 28, I was 35 when we got married. So as soon as we were married, I was like, right, babies. And um, so then we had a year when we were trying kind of unsuccessfully for a baby and I had um so several early miscarriages and one that was at 10 weeks and that was quite traumatic and again that's you know, it took me a long time to get over. It was just, a, and it was just a horrendous year. My uh, my mother-in-law also became terminally ill and passed away that year. It was just oh. the shittest of shit years you can possibly imagine. It was just horrendous. And um, my drinking during that year was kind of, I was on this monthly cycle of each month we would try and, and get pregnant and then I would, I wouldn't drink for the period of time where I thought I might be pregnant and then I would get my period realise I wasn't pregnant and then go on a massive drinking binge and then feel like death for the following week after that. And that was just, I did that for a year on a kind of rolling cycle. So then obviously I went from that directly into pregnancy. And then, so then had suddenly a year's break from drinking, which was the longest I'd ever gone without drinking since I was like, I don't know, 16, 17. So, so then at 36, I suddenly had this year long break from drinking and, my life suddenly became a lot less chaotic because you can imagine that year of that kind of cycle of binge cry repeat was, was just yeah. kind of just such a horrendous, chaotic, messy year. And um, I then had like this year of kind of calm and peace and, and and it, that kind of carried on. And then, so then once um, I started drinking, I did it much more gradually and I kind of didn't go straight back into the kind of bingy lifestyle because one, because it wasn't really possible because obviously I had a small baby. Um, And I also lived um, out in um, Tameside in um, kind of a bit, you know, quite far out of central Manchester. So I couldn't get a taxi home. I had to go, you know, if I did go out, we'd have to get the last train back. And, you know, it was um, just the opportunity to drink just wasn't there anymore. And so then that's when I did start the red wine at home, but I did, tend to keep that to a couple of glasses a night for the most part because my little girl didn't sleep very well and and I kind of thought during that period in between my two daughters that I was like I've I've cracked this I've done it I've gone from having a really messy relationship with alcohol to actually being a moderate drinker being a kind of sensible wine mummy couple of glasses at home laughing at the wine memes on Facebook it's all marvelous (laughs) and you know and I was I was but so then, and there was what I wrote about in the book, there was one night when I had my um, my little girl, my elder daughter in my arms and she was actually bottle feeding by that stage. So, um, because I, I did get her onto the bottle fairly quickly (laughs) I think the the law of getting back on the wine was was probably um quite significant there but yeah so she, she was bottle feeding and and she was on my lap and um I just remember looking down at her and just thinking you have saved me you have just saved me you've made my life so much better and then after I had my second daughter who's three now um I again first of all started with kind of pretty moderate glass of wine here and there but I did notice that I started I started drinking earlier I started drinking while I was still breastfeeding after my second daughter which I didn't do with my first and I started drinking more off more often and, and more quantities and I also moved house when my littlest one was three into an area where I was walking distance from bars and restaurants I lived a lot closer to my friends who had always been my drinking buddies over the years beforehand and who are still my best friends now you know they've been amazing about my sobriety but but yeah I was kind of I just had all these opportunities to drink again which I hadn't had when my little one when my eldest sorry was was little and it just felt like the wheel started to come off and I also actually started on antidepressants which seemed to have the effect on me that it it stopped me kind of being up uptight about the girls because I was overly uptight about certainly my eldest in terms of like you know being kind of obsessive about hygiene and really anxious and all of that kind of thing and then when I had postnatal depression diagnosed after my little one then and started taking antidepressants it was like I was just just didn't care anymore and which was a really good thing in a lot of ways but with the drinking it was like oh it's, it's Wednesday so what I deserve it or you know and I suddenly st- it was like somebody had just taken the lid off it and my drinking kind of went whoosh and both in terms of I started getting kind of hammered on nights out again and also started drinking more at home until um it got to the point where I think my little one was like nine months old and I started getting to the point where I could leave her for long enough to go out on like a proper night out and I had um so this was 2017 I had a night out in the January for my uh, my best friend's Joint fortieth, married couple who had a joint fortieth, and then a, another night out in the February for my own fortieth, and both those nights blacked out completely, had no clue how I got home, didn't just just had no idea what I'd been doing for kind of hours because I'd had so much to drink, and the second one of those, my own fortieth, that was my last night drinking because the next day, and again, this is what Alex is referring to, the oh, next yeah. day so tough. I were, I woke up Well, I woke because I woke first of all I woke up downstairs on the sofa and I still had my um, my clothes on from the night before I still had my contact lenses in I kind of looked down and I could see a glass of wine which meant that I'd carried on drinking on my own when I got in from the night out and I was just like oh god and then kind of stumbled off to bed and had like another hour or so sleep. And then my little one woke up and she needed to feed, and I had to feed her. And I knew I shouldn't feed her. I knew that I had far too much alcohol in my system to be to be feeding her, but I had to because she was hungry. I would not expressed any milk for her. We'd not started on formula at that point. I'd, and I think I well, had we started on formula? But anyway, for some reason, I knew that I had to breastfeed her. And while I was feeding her, I was just literally weeping on top of her little head. Oh, <laughs> it was like, I was just God. sat in bed feeding her and crying. And that was when I just thought, Do you know what, something's got to give here. Something's got to change. And that was when I um, ordered this Naked Mind and, and very quickly realized that the way for me to control alcohol was to not drink it. And then have, that was—I did end up being my last night drinking, even though I hadn't, I didn't kind of plan it in terms of, I didn't think beforehand, this is my day one, I'm going to stop yeah. it, I'm going to have a last night drinking. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't actually know that I'd stop forever until afterwards, like the first few days, it was just a horrendous hangover and, you know, the usual anxiety and feeling dreadful. And then it wasn't until a couple of weeks down the line where I was like, actually, do you know what, I might keep going with this yeah yeah you know, three years later still still keeping going with this so
0: they seem to be the most it. successful though don't believe so you know but people who go you know what and have that turning point like your last hangover my last hangover your moment of clarity while you're breastfeeding when it yeah clicks, it really clicks doesn't it
2: yeah I think yeah you, you have to get to that point of yeah of knowing that you re- you really you' done I was just done I was just so bored of it because you know at that point I've been I've been doing this, this kind of cycle of getting pissed and feeling bad about myself for, like, getting on for two decades and I was just
1: really done. (laughs) You just get tired of it, don't you? You get tired of flipping, lying to yourself and finding reasons to talk yourself out of why you've done stupid shit and you're trying to, like make it all right, like, oh everyone does that and it's all right. And then all of a sudden you know when you get that, like you said, that reality switch of you know what? This is just enough. I'm sick of lying to myself. I'm i si- I'm just I can really feel it from you. And you make you making me go back to that point of I was so bloody sick of it. Yeah. Um what have you done then? Because you know how long is it now? Did you just It say? was three years in February, so it's like three years and a couple of months. Which is just amazing. You've done an amazing job. You've wrote your book, you've inspired loads of other people. What keeps you, Julia, sober and positive? Oh, there's an interesting one. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's a bit harder at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even plan that one, it just came. No,
2: no, <laughs> very good. <laughs> and, oh, do you know,
1: I'm not that, I have to say, I'm not that positive a lot of the time at the moment. <laughs> you're going through. Like, because I don't know when people will listen to this podcast. So we will just put out there, actually, that right at this very moment, we're kind of all locked down, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, um, this is like the full-on the lockdown. Period. COVID-19 pandemic. So if you're listening to this in five years' time, we're doing pretty well to have a laugh. Last-
2: <laughs> we really After. are so we can, it's been what's it it's been three weeks for me because I was in self-isolation for the week before oh. everyone getting locked down so this is like so I've, I've done three weeks So oh, you know it's all merged into <laughs> it's like literally I don't even know what day it is mm. so you're, you're looking at, I remember to dial into this to be honest because <laughs> I work from home anyway but it's yeah it's just been it's just been a bit full on but yeah so what keeps me so positive I think that Oh God, it's a really tricky one because under normal circumstances, I think it's, I I, I do love it. I wrote a whole chapter about it in the book because I do love a night out. I really do. And that was the one thing that I just thought would be dead in the water. I really did. I just, I never anticipated being able to have fun sober because when I drank, if I had to go out and not drink for any reason, I absolutely hated it. Just. Would sulk all night and be jealous of everyone drinking and just yeah, yeah. just wouldn't
0: have a good time at all. And, it's and just like even, even us now, isn't it? Though you know, know. When, we were, when we were last out in Manchester and we saw all the zombies. Oh no, I know that was such Not a good night.
2: <laughs> that was, I mean, that yeah, that night was ace. That was such a good night when we went to the um, the power ballads night at the Ritz. Yeah. It was so good, and and I just I love it, and I love going out with my friends who still drink as well, and um, I, I actually feel more more relaxed dancing with people who I know when they're a bit tipsy <laughs> because, Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm the best dancer in the world but I think oh well if they're pissed they don't care so I just really go for it and you know <laughs> but yeah just, I just I really do still enjoy a night out although I can't stay out as late as I used to but I think that's no bad thing again the small small kids but but yeah and then I think what I love is all the other things that I've sort of added in because in the first six months to a year for me what really worked was to kind of build what, what I've referred to in a book and I didn't come up with this was, it's called this by lots of people but a sober toolbox and I kind of built this this kind of structure for my sobriety in that the kind of things that were essential, like yoga is a massive essential one for me. Like I'm, I'm still doing it now with online classes and stuff. Cause it's literally like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing I'm um, stealing a phrase from my friend, Kate from the love Sover podcast now, but it's like literally if I do yoga, I'm okay. If I don't, I'm not. And it is that simple for me. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly that and a meditation as well is linked to that. So they're, they're kind of the things that keep me sane and are definitely keeping me sane through this period. The relationship that I've got with my kids is just, you know, I I just wouldn't like to think how different it would be really if if I'd carried on drinking and if I'd kind of got worse and worse with my drinking and what that would have done to our relationship as as mother and daughters. So, you know, being able to be there for them 24-7 will never fail to keep me kind of feeling good and positive. I don't it's so good
0: though. that isn't it that thought of if anything was to happen in the night if one of them suddenly took ill i'm not going to be drunk i'm going to be able to do yes. what i need to do it is i i feel that my children are older than yours two of them and one's similar age mm-hmm. i i get that and Annalisa does just being yep. a parent is worth its weight in gold definitely i remember
1: definitely. um going to a wedding when Oh, my eldest then would have been about five or six and she broke a collarbone and it was a nightmare because obviously I drank then. So we were at a wedding, it was over in Burnley. We needed to get back home. The full process of trying to get home, get to an infirmary, get to and even then it never clicked. <laughs> like it it made it worse because we'd had a drink. But even going into the A&E and being a little bit tipsy in our wedding outfits, you know, it was just embarrassing, like really embarrassing. So like you said, to know that if anything ever were to happen or and the relationship you can have with them, like my relationship with my girls is just so much more than I ever hoped for because I've stopped drinking. And I think, you know, as yours get older, you'll continue to be able to have that. And that's really special, really special.
2: Yeah, definitely. And then the other thing I was going to say is sober friends, because, you know, you guys and the rest of the Manchester crew and and my friends from Soberistas and um, I'm in another Facebook group with, with some Lovely ladies that um, I met through Kate and Mandy, and it's you know I'm I'm just my social life and my kind of support network is so much richer and so much better, and and you know the, when when we get together we just have such a laugh, and it's just you know it's I just just really love how much kind of friendship and fun that sobriety has brought to my life, which is the, again, it's the opposite of what I thought would happen. I thought I was going to be yeah. a kind of outcast and you know, there were like, I think that was like when I certain when I first joined soberistas three years ago and um, started writing blogs on the sites and, and getting comments and stuff, which is how my writing started that, I was just like, oh, my God, there's all these people out there and they're just like me. They drink like me and they're worried about the drinking like me. And, I've, I, you know, I think because no one talks about it, you know, if people want to lose weight or if they want to quit smoking or whatever, they'll talk about it and they'll say, you know, I want to do this or whatever, but nobody did. And so maybe, I don't know if they still do, but certainly nobody did when I quit drinking it was nobody yeah. talked about it. It just wasn't talked about. And, you know, it was like if you had to stop drinking, you had to kind of go off to way it. AA quietly and not make a fuss about it and not spoil the party for everyone else. And, you know, it was just yeah. it was like this secret thing that nobody talked about. So I think, again, that I think that was another big driver for me in writing the book, that it's, I think there's a lot of people out there that are feeling very alone with right. it. And it's, it's something that affects so many of us, so many of us now. I think our generation as a whole drink so differently to how our parents' generation drank on the whole. It's, you know, alcohol's changed in how we use it in our, in kind of in our lifetime. So those of us who were kind of, you know, at a certain age and, you know, the, the amount of people that I have met since I stopped drinking and sort of, you know, I'm including in that people who are now sober and people who still drink, but are kind of maybe start, you know, they've they've talked to me about worries they have or whatever, because they know about my, book that it's just staggering how many people are affected by alcohol in a kind of negative way nowadays and so I suppose yeah that was why I sort of wanted to put it out there that it's uh, do you know what it's okay to be sober It's, it's good to be sober it's not the end of everything you can actually have a really good fulfilling fun interesting good life on the other side
1: of it I love that because there is so many people, like you said, when we all go out, we can have such a lovely time. And it is scary, isn't it, at first to think, I'm never going to be able to go out again. I am. I'm going to hate it. I'm not going to be able to do this. And I'm going to be lonely and on my own. And I think. You do have to work at it a little bit and put yourself... Oh, yeah,
2: it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight, for sure. There's de- definitely... It's not issue.
0: natural, is it, to put yourself no. into a social situation at first without a glass mm. of alcohol in your hand. Mm.
2: And it's a readjustment process, I think, as well. Yeah. It is, and it, it does take time. But, But I think I was probably about... I remember the first night I went out and really enjoyed myself not drinking was um, a friend's party when I was about I think probably about seven eight months sober and that yeah. was uh, before that I remember before that it was always a bit of an effort I was always a bit relieved to be going home and I was always you know kind of but I remember that night I just had a ball and I had you know I was on the dance floor half the night and it was like I just it just suddenly clicked that I was like oh, okay I can do this and not drink and it's still fun you know and I, I think the amount of different types of drinks that we can have now as well really helps that you know it's we don't just have to have lukewarm orange juice or diet coke or whatever <laughs> you know there's such a lot of different things we can drink that that taste like grown-up drinks that taste almost like alcohol in, in some cases and that kind of for me gives me a bit of a sort of placebo effect and like makes me feel a bit you know I will i'll probably feel more like having a dance if i've had an alcohol-free beer than if i've had a diet coke and i don't know why that is it's weird
0: (laughs) it is feeling part of the crowd and i think i also really believe that it's the sugar rush (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah there's definitely some of that going
2: on
1: (laughs) it does make a difference i still drink quickly if i may with a different type you know Mm. if i was to have a non-alcoholic drink or a grown-up drink at home i'd I don't really have that much. It'd take a lot for me to finish a, a bottle of non-alcoholic lager. Yes. Yeah, um, but, but when I go out with people, I still have that social anxiety a bit. So I drink it really, really quick. You know, yeah. like when we had our first ever Be Sober Manchester meetup and it was at the Dishoom in Manchester, uh-huh. I went on. I could not sleep, right, all <laughs> night. One, because i have been so nervous and excited about going to... Going there, but I yeah. do like all these es- um, espresso martinis, non alcoholic, <laughs> so coffee. At night, right? I'm <laughs> drinking nervously quick. Like I remember getting on the train, thinking I feel weird. <laughs> <laughs> I feel weird. <laughs> yeah, I did, and I was still up until like three in the morning, going, "This is weird." Are you sure that was non-alcoholic? Well, yeah, looking back, it was the coffee and the nerves and the. So I know, I like it to makes you, it make it. you question
2: yourself. <laughs> Definitely, I had um, my worst one of them was I went out on a night out for my mate's birthday. We went to Band on the Wall. So so it was like a proper night out and like dancing and like I was out till about three I think, and I had three Red Bulls and oh my god, oh god like, <laughs> yeah, I Adamin, I had Adamin, I, like, I was like on one, I was proper on one. I just could not get to sleep. It was about five in the morning before I finally got to sleep. And then obviously I was up with the kids at seven, so I at like, least you're uh, up without that hangover because well, <laughs> I yeah, but you yeah, it do wasn't, get wasn't as bad. It was it was a, there was a bit of a kind of a sugar caffeine hangover. Yeah, I was going to say you, like you get
0: like the bad. tiredness. Don't don't you still, and you get you do get the sugar hang on, but it's not vomiting and crawling around oh, on our phone. No, oh. and crying and feeling unemployed out there And no. not answering your oh. phone for a week. Oh god, <laughs> not even daring to look
2: at your phone. <laughs> sense. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well,
0: honestly, Julia, I think that this podcast is going to help so many people right now. And you're just such a warm, funny. Upbeat person, it's so lovely to have you on. Oh, bless you! Thank you. You, <laughs> you are, really I mean that. I've, I've been really looking forward to this. It's not going to help me because I want to grow now before this, we do go this is all over we'll have a night out definitely. yeah 100 Um before we do go could you just tell people whereabouts on social media they can find you and how and um if you've got any kind of top tip or anything for anybody to get sober and stay sober okay so yeah on social media i
2: am at sober positive on instagram and i've also got a facebook page that to be fair um apologies to anybody who follows me on facebook because i put very little on there i'm really lazy when it comes to facebook but again that's sober positive on facebook uh my book is on amazon in um, kindle and paperback copies thank you so much to everyone out there who has Bought it and read it. it. I'm hugely appreciative of every single um reader. It's just it feels quite surreal still, to be honest, that it's <laughs> done so well. I'm just absolutely blown away by the amount of people who bought it, the comments I've had on it. It's just way beyond anything that I could ever have hoped for as a yeah. self published author. So it's just brilliant. And like, is that and that is in a large part thanks to like people like you guys being so supportive of it, having me on the podcast, and you know, it's just a, just. Want to take the opportunity to say thank you so much for that because it means a lot Aww. and uh, what was other one people. about top, top tips for how to um to get and stay sober I would say don't wait for the right time to do it the right time is now just go for it because I put it off for so long thinking oh well it's not right at this point because I'm doing this and that and the other and actually you know I mean I think that a lot of people might be very tempted to think at the moment it's not the right time but what have you really got to lose? It's, you know, I'm, I would just say go for it and you will be pres- pleasantly surprised really quickly how much better things are. And like, I honestly, even though things are a bit shit <laughs> with the <laughs> lockdown for everybody, I, every day I think, thank God I don't drink anymore. Genuinely, I do. I'm so grateful for it. It just makes my stress levels so much easier to manage. It's just, yeah, it's just a gift at the minute. It really is. And also to, once you've made that decision to, to stop drinking, I would say just immerse yourself in the sober world because there is so much out there. There's podcasts, there's books. Um, not that that's a hint in any way. There's <laughs> but it should on, be, there's plumbing, brilliant. Thank you. There's stuff online. There's um, websites like Soberistas where you can link up with other sober people. And there's just, you know, particularly now when we're all kind of stuck communicating online for the most part you know you can get so much connection and support that's one of the reasons I'm really grateful to be sober because I've kind of got this ready-made online network of friends and people that I already talk to online a lot so you know I've kind of got all that in the way that my friends who haven't gone through a period of of having to stop drinking maybe don't have so so yeah I would I would say go for it and give it everything you've got just throw yourself into it and immerse yourself in the, the world of sobriety because it is surprisingly good and there's so much support out there and the more you learn the more you want to learn it's like it sounds like cheesy to say it's a journey but it is it's you know as as time goes on I just feel like I'm still learning and you know it's it's like it never stops I think I was always getting in my own way with my drinking and now I've stopped doing that it's like I'm just on this kind of exponential path of like I don't know just learning more and and doing more and it's just the best thing that I've ever done for myself by miles
1: Wow, oh, that's amazing. I don't yeah, think we realise, um, do we, how much drinking holds us back. And I think to see all the things that you've achieved and to listen to that is just... I, I say this, like, quite more and more the more we speak to people, but if I wasn't already sober and I listen to something like this, I'd be like, give me some of that. Oh <laughs> it's like you say, if we could bottle it up, if, if we could
2: make a pill that made people feel like, <laughs> surprised feels, feels. It, it would be a bestseller. We'd be billionaires.
0: I, I <laughs> think that's so true. You know, it, it, if people think that feeling drunk is good, you want to feel sober. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, thank you know, so much, on, Julia. Thank thank you you. so much. It's been lovely to see you both as well. And you. Have a lovely rest of the day. You too. Speak to you soon. in the garden, enjoy the sunshine. Speak to you soon. Bye. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.